Nation and Sea Nation rebuilt, then you have to concentrate on the family because family is the strength of society. Who would agree with that? We all come from a family somewhere. We all know someone. Even if we were fostered or whatever it was, we, we have a sense of what, it, what it, it, we feel inside our hearts. We want to belong. God's put that in. There's a belonging. There's a sense of belonging in every one of us to be loved, accepted, to be cherished. And when that goes wrong, all kinds of dysfunctions begin to develop. Hello? It's true. And that's why I think the work of fostering and, think, and um, orphanages and things like that is a fantastic work because it gives those people looking for sense of belonging, identity and, and affirmation and all those things. It gives those things. It supplies those things to, to children in a measure. In a measure. But a measure is better than nothing. Amen? So in Psalm 105, verse 16, I want to read a, a scripture. We're talking about if families are going to be rebuilt, then we need to clearly identify who is the source and who is the supply of everything coming into the home. We look to governments. Governments can't be our source. Governments can't be our supply. But so many people in our nation look to our government to be their source and supply. They look for that check coming through every week or every month, whatever it is. They're looking for housing. They're looking for all kinds of benefits. And benefits are not wrong if they go to the right people for the right reason. But in, in our nation, we've got this massive confusion. People getting it that shouldn't, and those who are not, you know, vice versa. So we want to make sure that, you know, in a nation that, certainly for Christian, Christians especially, we want them to live from the source, and the source is God, and the supply is God. Amen? Amen? So if we read Psalm 105, verse 16, he called down a famine. Who's he talking about? God. God called down a famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them. Here's, here's, here's a key word. Joseph. Sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he, fore, till what he foretold came to pass. Now get ready for this. It's powerful. Till what he foretold came to pass until the word of the Lord proved him true. Till the word proved him true. All that he spoke had to be proven. All that we're speaking as a leadership has to be proven true in who? You. We can speak and speak and speak and keep on teaching, but if it's not proved true in you, it doesn't make what we're saying not right. It means that you never get the experience of the truth. Gone quiet now. The word has to be proven true. So the thing is, is this, is, this is what we've learned over the years as a leadership. You must keep speaking it and speaking it and speaking it until you start seeing fruit. I'll try over this side. We must keep on speaking it and speaking it and teaching it and coming at it from every angle possible until it's proven in you and we see some fruit. There has to be some fruit. Now, if there isn't fruit, it doesn't necessarily mean to say that what someone's teaching you is error. It doesn't. It doesn't always mean to say that everything someone's teaching is true neither. Let's be fair about that. It has to be proven in you. But if you're giving everything you can to this word and it's of God, it will come to pass. If. If. So the Lord... Had to, uh, the word had to be proven true. So the word that you're, you're receiving, and I've been receiving for these 14 weeks. On my notes, it's called part 14. That's not counting what Paul's spoken, what Phil's spoken, part 14. Why? Until we see the fruit, somebody has to keep on tilling the ground. Come on. Now, I've been working on it for 14 weeks. Hopefully, you have. So if you're working on it and I'm working on it, sometime there's going to be a season called harvest. Yes? I expect the families to start getting stronger and I expect families to start returning. I expect families to, 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 be, to come into health and wholeness and, and wellness. Amen? 
Why? Because if we, take God, if we live from the source and supply, then there's every reason the family will become stronger. We're taking responsibility for the family in here. Where we get opportunities to help families outside of here, we can do that. But right now, God has spoken to us about helping you. Because he sees the struggles, he sees what's going on in your families. He sees the struggles, he sees the stress, he sees the, the nights you've, you've lost hope, he sees the time you're thinking, God, I don't know about my marriage, I don't know about my husband, I don't know about my finance, I don't know about my kids. And last week we gave you four words. Did we not? God gave us four words. You must hold on to those four words because that's what's going to get you through. That's what's going to get you through. When, I, when God speaks, he knows what to speak. I said when God speaks, he knows what to speak to your situation. God does not waste words. In all the times God speaks to me, we don't have a long conversation. God's very quick and to the point. God does not have to explain long it just, it just has this thing, when he speaks, you understand. I like that. What did you mean, Lord? Because you, you can never hold God to ransom. Well, I thought you meant this. God says, you know, because when I spoke to you, I gave you the understanding. You can't put God's arm up his back. He's too clever for that. And don't forget, he's seen how you're going to respond before he tells you. So he's smart. He's smart. He's very clever. So God called down a famine. God removed the supply off the ground. God himself called down a famine. So God removed the, fam God removed the supplies on the ground. You know, it's when nations bring in different gods and worship different gods and allow all kinds of practices to go on, God can strike that nation so it no longer produces. Because one of his own commands is, you shall have no other gods before me. But he also gives you free will to worship who you want. But when nations, when God, sorry, when nations slander God and attack God, right now in India, Christians are being killed. Right now, in certain parts of Africa, Christians are being killed. Right now in North Korea, Christians are being persecuted. Right now in Iran, Christians are being persecuted. Right, it seems right across the world, Christians are being persecuted. And yet, wherever Christians are being persecuted, the church grows unbelievably. In the West, no persecution, and the church is decreasing. The church in the West is asleep, but the church all around the world, despite it not having music, not having what we've got this morning, despite that, the church is growing exponentially. Why? Because sometimes it takes, God knows what it needs, it's God knows what it takes in order to kickstart revival. And God knows what it takes in your life to kickstart a revival. That's why he says embrace trials, embrace hardships. Why? Because they produce something. So if it takes God to call a famine on your life, it just might be a good thing. I don't want it, but I just might need it. Yeah? So God sent his own word. He allowed, he allowed his own servant to be put in prison. He allowed his own servant. He's allowed his own servants to be put in prison all around the world. He's allowed it. Wow. You want to be thank God that you're not one of those who's in prison. Yeah, but there are millions of us around the world who are imprisoned by governments. And not allowed to say anything. They take the cross down off the church. There's millions of them around the world. You don't have to look. Asia is full of churches who are under persecution. And yet the church in the West is a, is a fat sleeping giant. That's why I said she needs stripping down. Because she's fat and overweight, the church. But the word must be proved. None of us like that. So when you get prophecies and prophetic words, remember... The word has to be proved. There's a responsibility. It might, you might have to encounter some hardships and difficulties. Now, not one of us will volunteer, put your name on that list for difficulties. But guess what? Whether you put your name down or not, they're coming. You may have had a few. You may have already encountered a few difficulties. 
They're coming whether you like it or not. It's how you respond. Now this back wall here, as you can see, some work's been on there. And for those who have seen it, we had work on that side and work on this side. If there ever was an perfect illustration of rebuilding the walls, we supplied one for us. Yeah, it's a perfect illustration of how when bricks are not, uh, sorry, when foundations are not right, or when water begins to get in certain parts and, and begins to rust certain uh, metals, metals, metals begin to swell. And as metals begin to swell, they lift. They lift, right? The roof up. They can lift the roof up. And that's what's happened. In these wi- wi- li- uh, windows here are uh, were lintels. And in this roof, there's, there's metal. And if it rusts, it begins to expand and lifts the roof up and causes bricks to move. Yeah? So the issue is, is we've had to have some work done and we've had to rebuild our walls. And we're going to have the outside done, but we've done the inside so that you don't panic when you see bricks moving and shifting like we did on that side, where it's like, run, run. I said to ZZ, do we need to close the church? He went, no. He said, it's been like that for 60 years, and all of a sudden now you see what's behind it. You think it's all going to fall down. I said, yeah, but it could be 60 years in one day. It could be the day when I'm in, it all decides to down. And I don't want to be a Samson, I have to stand up. I mean, he's only small, he can't reach. Can you imagine me have to lift this thing on my own? Oh, get out, go on, get out, get out, and I'll let it go. So we've got to make sure that things over time in our lives move and shift. We change the source in our life. Depending on our circumstances and issues of life. And so many Christians change and reduce God depending on their circumstances. And what happens? It brings all kinds of trouble to their life. I know you know that. Not only do bricks, metal, and materials begin to shift and drift over the the years, people do. People, the, the storms come, and the storms come against your life, and they cause people to, to uproot and drift and shift. It's true. Some of, your, some of you may, may find that your Christianity is not as strong today as it was maybe two months ago or three months ago or three years ago. Some of you may find that your Christianity is stronger today than it's ever been. Some of you may find your marriage is stronger or it's weak. Why? Because things have a tendency to attack us and move us from what we know is strong and what is right and what is true. This is what life does to us, does it not? And then what happens is you have to have a, a reality moment. And you have to have a ha-ha moment when the light comes on and you go, ah. That's why I call it a ha-ha moment. And then you begin to make a different choice. And then you can begin to rediscover what you've lost. Now, unfortunately, the consequences can be very severe. And you don't always get back what, you, what you've damaged. We know that's true, don't we? What I've come across is when I, and this is a sad indictment, when I look at the society today and I look at the modern society, I have seen secularism, humanism, relativism personified. People do what they want. They don't want barriers. They, so they don't want uh, guidelines. They don't want uh, to curb their behavior. They want to be free to do whatever they want. You know, I, I sit with the, there's a lot of drunks that come around here. And I've seen them quite often. And I was, I was telling Scott the other day. The other, the other day, I'm, I'm outside and, and I'm saying to one of them, he's got sunglasses on, it's dark. It's light, but he's got sunglasses on. So I said to him, let me have a look because I know him well, and he's got this, macking, this docking great big black eye. So I said, well, who's give you that? He said, she did. That's his girlfriend. And they're not really girlfriend. You can see she's with him, hoping he's going to give her something, but he's never going to supply. So I, sit, I start talking to him, and, and, because she's, she's gone by the time. She's given him a good hiding. And she's really given him a good hiding. And I thought, whoa, this girl's really smack you. So anyway, he's crying on the step. And so I start talking. I said, look, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a different way. And he's had a few, you know, he's swaying in the wind. You know, he's, 
it's really going. So anyway, after long story short, I start talking to him. I thought this is a good opportunity to give him the gospel again. So I give him the gospel again, and, and, and I give him an opportunity to come to Jesus. And so he gives, he gives well, he so-called gives his life. So I'm leading him to Christ, and I, and I can see he's had, I'm under no illusion, there's a lot of drink in the air, right? And he's, he's, I don't know if he's seen, you know, when you ask him to put his hand up, I don't know if he's seen how many hands he's seeing. But I didn't ask him to put his hand up, I'm joking. But he's had a few scoops. So the next day, I said, I said to him, I said, I'm going to speak to you tomorrow when I see you, and you're sober, and then we're going to have this conversation again because there's a good chance you forgot what I've just said. So it's like, it's really gone. So the next day, I sees him. And straight away, he remembers the conversation we've had. But now he's a little bit, well, uh, I've sorted all my drinking out now. In one day, he sorted all his drinking out. All his problems are gone. He's tried to sort it out. I said to him, Craig, you know and I know you're going to be sat back on my step and you're going to be ratted again. Well, no, 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 no. We've cleaned our act up now. He's got stitches in his eyes. She's still sat there. And I'm thinking, this is a typical relationship that you see so often. But it goes on behind doors. It's not always obvious, and it's not always clear for everyone to see. But I just stand at the door, and all I have to do is just keep being consistent. There's going to come a time. And I keep saying to him, come to the cafe then. If you don't want to come to the church, come to the cafe. We'll give you a cup of tea. You can have a sandwich. Just have somewhere warm to talk to. Sit in. I, I think you'll do. And he always says to me, he says, uh, you're good people, you lot, aren't you? I said, we're the best. I said, we're the best people you've ever met. I said, we're the only people who talk to you. So he says, you're right. I said, that's why we're good then. So we have this dialogue. But what I'm, the point I'm making is his life is so broken. It's so broken. And he's used drink to mask what's going on. And you just want to get to the source. But I have to keep on being consistent with him so he can break down the barriers. It's a lesson. And what I've seen is, this is what I'm seeing is, modern secularism is destroying people's lives. But there is such a thing in church called the secular, the modern secular Christian. There is secular Christianity alive in the church. Oh, we may not beat one another up, but our behavior is not too dissimilar to those outside. But we think because we can wear a suit or we can click, we can scrub up a little better and we, and we don't come in with bruises and black eyes, we have got a different lifestyle than many out there. I'm not referring to this guy now. I'm talking about to most people out there. And we have an epidemic in the church called secular Christianity. That is reflective of things that have drifted and shifted. That means something has changed. Believers want a Sunday service, but they don't want a Christian life. And we have this problem. So when we look in the mirror, there's not a lot of difference between them and many other Christians. Why? Because they drink from the same supply and go to the same source. So when you drink from the same source and supply that the world does, you will look like the world. Stands to reason. Is it not true? And this is, and I think you say, well, not us. Well, hopefully it's not you. But there's a lot of us out there. In fact, there should be more of us out there than actually in here. Governments are reticent to acknowledge generations are shifting and drifting. So what they try and do is throw money at it. Throw resources at it. But the issue is generational. The issue is when our government take away certain principles that you and I were raised with, you take prayer out of school, you take, say, for instance, you legalize certain uh, marriage behaviors. If you bring that, is it any wonder you now, people thinking there is no barriers now, we can do whatever we want, there's no law to stop us, to prevent us, then guess what? You're going to have the tide of trouble that comes with that. You're going to have a tide of trouble. It's going to create trouble for you, whether you realize it or not. And it may not affect you, but it's going to affect your children. This is what we're raising our children up in the midst. 
So when our kids go to primary school today, now they've got to accept everything. And it's difficult. The Christian voice is getting less and less and less in school. And it's alarming. And this, is, this will only erode that wall. This is the water that gets in and begins to swell and lifts everything and begins to shift everything. These are the storms that come against us. And if we don't see this and recognize this, how are we going to build our family in the midst of all this, this change that's coming all around us? It comes back down to you and I must raise our family. Because there are forces far greater than you outside who are trying to do a job on your children. You've got to move the mountain. You've got to move the mountain. You have more influence in your children than your school should ever have. But up to a point, up to a point, if you don't keep your influence in your child, your authority won't influence them anymore. Because there'll be other authority figures and they'll change their allegiance. You know, we've said it many times, a 15, 16-year-old, how do you ground a 16-year-old? It's your influence that keeps them. We've got to keep the... Now, D.A. Carson said this. It takes three generations to lose Christianity. Three. How many? Three generations. The first generation, let's just say it's a proactive generation, they capture it. They capture the truth. They capture the essence of Christ. So I'm talking to many first generationers here. Is that true? I'm talking, you've lived it, you're living it, you proclaim it, you believe it. So you bring your children to church, you try and raise your children the best way you can. You're the first generation, you caught it. Are you a first generation? Are you sure? You are the first generation who caught it. So now you have a, what we call a footprint running through your family. You've started the lineage of, you've started the legacy, you've started the Christian heritage. Yes? Previous to me and Shirley getting saved, my sister, there was no footprint that we know of in our family. So we became the first footprint. It was like virgin snow. When we became Christians, we were the first footprint. The second generation, the problem is, is the second generation live under the first generation. And the second generation don't carry what the first generation carry. It has not been transferred. So we bring our kids to church. We even send them to Christian schools. And we make this assumption because they're around us, the same things that are in us are in them. How many of you know that's not true? You need evidence. You need cleared evidence. You need cleared evidence. So the first generation's weakness is they assume the second generation have got it. Wow. The mistake. So they paid the price. They started the footprint. But their weakness is now they assume the second generation have got it. Why? Because they're so busy doing the things they do that they forgot to check the DNA's there. The third generation, I've seen the second generation, the fact that they haven't got it, the third generation don't want anything to do with it whatsoever. They're not even around. They won't even come to church. They won't even get involved in the things of God. Why? Because to them, it's no longer relevant. Society has shifted the Christianity, the Christian values, the Christian morals, it shifted it so far and lifted it that, that Christianity now has gone. What you paid the price for, the third generation don't want any of it. So now the footprint is removed and now the family needs re-evangelizing. There's no history. There's no lineage no more. There's no, nothing been secured in the spirit realm, the spirit dynamic. All that's been there, you have to rely on the prayers that the first generation may be sowed. And trust that God will find, be merciful and find another generation. And he does that quite a lot. Yeah? 
Some great, great, great grandma prayed. And then four generations, five generations down the line, Alfie gets saved. And the generation starts again. Four generations may have to be missed. So another generation can pick it up. How do I know that? Check your Bible. God's done that with Israel time and time again. Generations had to pass. There was a generation in the wilderness that had to pass. The generations who go into exile had to pass. Generations will pass. Why? Because God will keep, will hold on that word and wait for the generation. But in the meantime, we've lost three, four generations. It's great to fact that it's great that God may secure it further down the line, but we still lost four. Or three, or whatever it was. In the secular world, all things are possible. In the secular world, all things are possible. All things are permissible. But in the spiritual world, not all things are beneficial. So in the secular world, all things are possible. All things are permissible. But in the spiritual world, not all things are beneficial. Just because you can do it does not mean to say you should. Right is not right because everyone's doing it. Right is right despite no one doing it. Wrong is wrong when everyone's stuck because everyone's doing it. It can still be wrong. You have to know what's right and wrong because beneficial and sorry, permissible and possible is going to get you in trouble. That's what causes us all to experiment. Well, my mum won't know if I've had a drink. My mum won't know if I've had a cigarette. Of course she will. You stink. You stink. You can't hide cigarette smoke. It's just something about cigarette smoke. You know, I know. I tried. Got a wang round the ear all for it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower. God gives us seed so that we can navigate our way through this secularism. God gives every family seed so that you don't have to rely on secularism to get you through. Remember, secularism has no boundaries. So what if I have an affair? She'll never know. So what if I sleep with 15 women? So what? Everyone else is doing it. So what? So what? So what? Just because you can do it, then there's consequences on the family. Devastation on the family. So God gives us seed so that we can plant and we can, we can, we can navigate our way through these shifting times. We can plant seed for a harvest. We can make sure with seed that we can hold generations together. With seed, you can do that. You can do that. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, and he will also supply and increase your stuff. So let me read this again. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So who's supplying here? God. I'm, you know, I am convinced, I'm convinced that if church supplied credit, if church supplied a credit system, most people will pay their tithes and offerings by credit. Think about that. If we set up a credit system, some people will pay their tithes and offerings by credit. They would never have the money, they'd borrow the money and pay, their, and pay it like that. Because that is the system that's in people's minds. God is no longer the supply. The credit card has become the source and supply. Think about it. We have jobs. We spend too much money. Was the problem the job or was the problem the, was the problem the lifestyle? Of course it is, the lifestyle. We all want a better lifestyle, don't we? Of course we do. We all want a nicer house. We all want a, a better car. We all want whatever it is. We all want to go shopping, eat when we want, go out when we want. We all want that because we think we're entitled to it. We think we're entitled to it. You think, well, I work, so I'm entitled. And... If you work, you are entitled to some things. But how much you think you're entitled to 
You're entitled to as much as your money will allow you. So if you haven't got it, what do you do? You, you go to the bank and you look to the supply and you look for the source and then you go and live based on what somebody else has supplied. Rather, there's another. There's another God gives you seed to save, to plant, to create a future. True? When the banks, when the banks were in trouble, they were calling in their debt. And when they called in the debt, it was your seed. It was your debt they were calling in. It was your seed. Now, I'm not talking about having, a loan is not a wrong thing. I'm talking about excessive credit. Yes? If you've got a mortgage, we all, it's an acceptable debt. It's an acceptable debt. We need a house. There's no way we can get 100 and odd thousand together. So a house is a house. But please, 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 sort your debt out. Sort your debt out. This is one of the things that will destroy the family. Debt, it is destroyed the family. And it is, it, every day it's destroying the family. You must get your finances in order. Don't spend more than you earn. I know, is that a revelation? <laughs> is that a revelation? To some. Yeah? If you've got more month, if you've got more month and you've got money, then something's wrong. You've got to find ways to create more wealth. Don't spend more and expect Mr. Barclays, Mr. Nat West, Bank of Scotland, to keep bailing you out. That was the stupidity of the banks. You cannot do that, folks, and expect God to bless the family. You've got to get financially in order. Would you agree? So when does that start? The moment you've heard it. I went for a financial health check the other week. When you go to the bank now, you, there's no such thing as just an appointment. They try to flog you everything. And our Paul's in that system. And he knows, he'll tell you. And so you can't just say, well, how much is in my account? Can you do this? Hang on, we need a financial health check. So she puts the gloves on. And she begins to start typing. And she starts looking at certain things. And you know what? It was my, to my benefit, I went. Because when she started moving things around, I actually realized I hadn't looked at some things and she actually saved me money and she showed me how to consolidate certain things, but then she wants to go a bit too far. <laughs> then she wants me to, she's asking questions, it's like, not your business. I know it's your job to do that, but it's not your business. It's not my, my business to respond. So when I say to her, she says, where's your savings? I say, do you see them in this account? She went, no. I said, there's a reason why. I said, you're never going to come and tell. I'm not going to put my money, all my money in one bank. Going to move it around. Oh, why? 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 You're telling, I'm asking you, you're asking me. You should know why. So the thing is, is financial health checks are good. She brought me into clarity. And she asked me some awkward questions. Uncomfortable questions, but I walked out better than when I walked in. And she put her fingers on some things I hadn't realized. Brilliant. So when God has a financial health check with you, he's going to ask you some questions you might not want to answer. But if we're going to rebuild a family, finance, finance, finance. Why? Because God is supplying seed to you so that on the day, on the day, you may overflow with graciousness and be able to supply others with what they like. Yes? That's why he gives us seed. To get out of our, get out the rat race. Now the problem is, the race that you've been running, your kids get now start. I'm talking to a builder yesterday and he says to me, my son, my son, is 22 years of age, and we just had a, just a standard conversation we're having, and he begins to open up and tells me that his son has got 15 grand, right? He's 22, he's got 15 grand on this, this, these games you bet on, and you can bet how many corners in the next 15 minutes your team will have. So it's not who's going to win or who's going to score. You can, you can refine the bet. He's got 15 grand, and they tell him, check out now. Check out now. You got 15 grand. No, 
he loses the lot. And this is, this is his, his answer to his dad. I'll do it again. I'll do it again if you have to. Why? It's just money. So then I finds out he's never paid his mum and dad a bean for living there. It's your own stupid fault. It's your own fault. Why? Because you've never taught him the principle of contribution. The value for money, exactly. What son is going to moan at his father and mother and father when they say, you can live here free? What's pastor's favorite phrase? Children don't come with a software. You have to install a software. It's called a conscience. Kids don't have a conscience. You have to install that conscience. So I say to my lad, where's your money? Have you paid your mum? It's always pay mum, banker mum. Never pay me. So I make sure Scott pays. Why not? Because he's got to realize that the race I got out of, if he's in that race, guess who's going to come to bail him out? He's coming to you. So now you're not in the race, but you are in the race. Because you're bailing him out. Come on. I know you don't like it now. I know you don't like it. Well, I love my kids. It's not about love. If you love them, you'll teach them. Why let them, why let them waste your resource? So you get out the rat race. You do things right. And then they don't live by your principles. And then it's, Mom, Dad, we have a flat line in our house. Scott comes to me. I go to Carol. If Scott goes to Carol, Carol comes to me. Why? He wants to borrow some money. Has he talked to you? No, we all know who's, who's, who's taking what out, out of the system. Kids don't realize, they expect when they grow up that you've got this money tree. They think that you were smart with your seed and you supplied a money tree. And it's good for them to realize that there is no such thing as a tree. It's just called principles. That tree is called principle. Yeah? It's called principle. So, last scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul wants to show us the source. Here's a man who has discovered the source and supply. And here's the thing that when I read this scripture, it really helps me because here's a man who's learned to function from the midst of it. In other words, if I say to Phil, Phil, there's a, there's a supply on this table. I think there's some food over here. It's only bread. But it's enough to refresh him. Right? But if I'm, if I'm this side of the table, and I've created this bread, and I offer them this bread, I'm in the midst of the supply. I've created the supply for him. Yeah? Where before, I said, I think there's some food over there. I'm, I'm, I'm unattached to it. I'm not attached to it. I'm distant. But when I'm in the midst of it, I've supplied it. I know it's, I know it's nutritional value. I know it's worth. I know it's value. And I'm more able to convince him it's good. Yes? Because my own hands have prepared it. Do you understand what I'm saying? When Paul prays, he's praying from the midst of the supply. He's tasting it. And he's emphasizing it's so good. And, I want, and then what he's trying to show you then is how to operate from in the midst of that. He's not, trying to tell, he's not trying to tell the church, I think God is a bit like this. He's, he knows for himself that God is this God. Why? Because he's tasted it himself. Yes? So many speakers, so many pastors are trying to tell us things that they themselves have never experienced. And they say faith and all that kind of stuff. And most pastors will tell you about a God they know, uh, they've heard about, and they've got information of. But how many guys actually can talk from the person they know? You must know the God that you serve, not know about him. It's not enough to know about him. But you know, you know far more when I know someone. When I know someone, if you try and tell me some things about Phil and you've never met him, right, you're only going to go off rumors. But if I know him, I could turn and say, well, that's not the fellow I know. 
irrespective of the rumors or what you're saying, I may agree with some of the things, but there's going to be some of the things that, you, that you're going to be out of order. Why? Because you don't know him like I know him. And that's God. So many people on, 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 on uh, social media talking about a God they never know. They've got information on, but they don't walk with him. And here's Paul, he says, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father. So he's actually dialogued before. There's a lot has gone on before that. And now he says, look, for this reason, this is why I kneel before him. From his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So there's our origin. That's where we all come from. That's who we're all connected with. I know this God. I know him. And then he says this, so I pray out of his glorious riches. So he says, I know that when I pray, there's an abundance there because I'm in the midst of it and I've tasted it and I am tasting of it. I pray from the center of the provision. Can you see this? I'm not talking about a provision. I'm talking about I'm in the midst of it. I'm tasting it. It's doing my life good. So now I pray out of his glorious riches. Now he may strengthen you just like he strengthened me with power. But where does he ask for it to be strengthened? In your inner being. Not in your head. What is your inner being? It's your spirit. That's what Christ made alive when you became born again. Those who know about him only try and understand God in their head. If you've never had a revelation of who Jesus Christ is and you know him personally, I know Jesus not from my head, but from my spirit. Why? Because he confirms things to me in my spirit, not in my head. He lives in me by the Spirit. Where? In my Spirit. So when Paul's praying to be that God will strengthen you, what is he asking to strengthen? Your Spirit. So that you'll operate from that piece of software, not that. That's the hardware. Christ is the software. Amen? I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his inner through his spirit in your inner being, <coughs> so that Christ may dwell. In other words, so that you will make more room, so Christ can step in, so the fellowship can grow stronger, your relationship with God goes deeper, that you may know Christ, that, you may, that he may dwell in your hearts through faith, not through knowledge, through faith. And I pray that you be rooted and established. No shifting, no drifting, no being lifted up by the weather, the storms. He's saying, I don't want you to shift. I don't want you to drift. I want you to remain rooted and grounded by this power flowing in your inner spirit. If it's in your head, it can always change. But if it's in your spirit, you've laid hold of it. So I pray that being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp. Grasp what? How wide is God's love? How long is God's love? It goes, it just doesn't run the length of your lifetime. It runs from a time continuum from the day started to the day called finish. Not your day called start and not your day called finish. God's got love for the beginning and the end of his creation. Then he says, to know the depth of God. Because in God there's a depth. Secular Christianity has no depth. It's all about feeling. If I feel good, it must be good. Good is not spelt God. God is spelt capital G. O D. Good is lowercase g with two O's and a D. It's not the, it sounds similar, but it's not the same. So many people are looking for a good church. We need a God church, not a good church. If you find a God church, you'll get good. But if you find good, you won't always get God. So you may have power with the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know, so there's more. 
This is all out of his riches. To know this love that goes beyond knowledge. So in other words, what you can't understand, God's loves are still supplied. Think about this. What you don't understand and haven't understood, God has already supplied, despite you understanding or not. Wow. So he's gone before you, he knows what you needed, and he supplied it in advance, so you need to know the one who supplied it, not know what supplied, you need to know the one. And when you know the one who supplied it, he leads you by still waters. He leads you through the valley, right? He leads you, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And where's it leading us? And I will dwell in the house. It doesn't mean church. The house is God. I will dwell in the house, God. Why? Because he is the place where we dwell. So it's leading us. Once you know the person, he will lead you to the source, which is himself, and he'll lead you to the supply. But most Christians want the supply without the source. Most ministers are giving you gimmicks because they want the supply, but they're not leading you to the source. We cannot supply what he has not sourced. And if you start a gimmick supplying, if I give you all a five-pound note, guess what? I'm, you're going to want another trick next week. True? So the gimmicks I start off this relationship with will be the same gimmicks I have to keep using to keep you. Jesus doesn't promise you nothing like that. He says, put down your nets, follow me, and I will make. First, you put down. Second, follow me, and then I will make you a fisher of men. Put it down first, follow second. So once you put down and follow, there's nothing left of you, is there? Right, so now I'll lead you. I'm the source, and I will lead you. I'll show you how to be a fisher of men. I'll supply I'll supply to your life what you have to put down and follow. What we want in secular Christianity, we want to continue holding the stuff. We want to continue doing our own things, but we want and demand and expect the supply to keep coming. You don't do that with your kids. You demand what? You demand change. Do you not? Any, any parent worth the salt will demand a change of behavior to keep on supplying. Me and, you, me and your father haven't got that kind of money. We can't keep doing this. You need a change. And then he says this, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He wants you to have the full supply. The full supply of God. Who doesn't want the full supply? But you cannot have the full supply unless you know the source. You know, God's very merciful. God will heal people who don't know him. God's, God's more than willing to supply even though you don't know him. He does that. But out of that supply, he wants you to know him. But him knowing whether you will respond or not didn't stop him supplying. So if you can live off the, the tidbits, how much more could you live on if you know him? Come on. How much more could you live on if you know him? So in building the family, we must, your first priority is to live from the source. Stop looking to your job, to a check coming through, the government or whatever it is. You must first of all make the most high. If it's going to be a refuge, you must look to him because when things get bad and things are going to get bad, God has no problem getting supply to you. I said God has no supply. God has no problem supplying what you need. God has ways and roots and people you know nothing about. You can open your door and groceries can be there. You can get up in the morning and there'll be an envelope there with finance to pay what you need to pay. God knows how to supply. 
Do you know why? Because I've lived from that. Many times when I've never had groceries at my door, but I've had money come through the letterbox. Finances come in unusual ways. People supplying my needs. I didn't, I didn't have a placard saying, sponsor me. I didn't, say, I didn't have a placard saying, feed me. Right? I just trusted the source. And God supplied. And guess what? I'm not the only one. Many of you have got the same story. Why? Because we've lived from the source. But don't let your circumstances shift you. Don't allow the drifts and shifts to move you from the source. Let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. <coughs> if you don't know the source today, and you've only known about him, but you've allowed the shifts and, sh and drifts of life, circumstances, to move you, this morning's a great opportunity to come back and make God your supply and your source. If that's where you're at this morning, let's all raise our hands so no one stands out. And I want you to pray this prayer. If this is you and you've, you, you've been at that place or you're at that place, I want to start the next phase of your life off. Encourage you to start the next phase. It's called not trusting in yourself. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge and trust God. See, some trust in horses, some will trust in chariots. These are human things. But we trust in the name of our God. There is a company of people who choose not to live on the secular level, but they choose to lift their eyes and head and walk in that way. Not just saying, well, yes, I know he's always with me. He's not always with you. The issue is, are you with him? It's amazing how many religious Christians say, I know he's always with me. Well, thank you for that, you know, for giving us that information. God isn't with you. You're supposed to be with him. Put down your nets. Follow me, and I will make. You've got to put down what you've got, your sufficiencies, and follow him. That requires faith and trust. That's not about what you can supply. It's about what he can supply. He supplies based on who he is. So if that's you this morning, I want you just to pray this powerful prayer. Dear Father, you know that I have supplied my own needs. My own hands have supplied my own needs. I work, I supply. But Father, there is a great higher source and I've abandoned and neglected to make you that source. At any one time, my circumstances can change. But oh God, you never change. You're fixed in the heavens. Your word is fixed in the heavens. You're secure. And Father, I want you to come into my heart. I surrender, oh God. I, forgive me, oh God, for drifting and shifting. Lord, I want you to come into, I want to give my life to you this morning. I'm going to make you my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to look to you. I'm going to put down my nets. I'm going to put down my strength and my own, my own way. I'm going to put it down. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you, oh God. To build my family. To build my life. I'm going to trust you, oh God. From now on, oh God, it's a new day. I thank you, oh God, that you've forgiven me. Lord, I'm asking you to lead me. Lead me and my family. Show us the way. Forgive us, O oh God. Forgive us. Forgive me, O oh God, for walking away and ignoring you. I'm coming home, Lord. I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to the Father, the source and supply. Here I am, O oh God. Here I am, me and my family. We stand before you today. And we give our life to you. In Jesus' name. You may not be at that place. You may be a bit further on. Pray this prayer with me. If you will. Father, I'm asking you, oh God. I want to know you deeper. Lord, I know about you. I know a lot about you. But I'm sure in the knowing you region. I need to know the depth. 
I need to know the width. I need to know the height of our relationship. Father, I, I long to go deeper with you. Take me deeper, Lord. Forgive me, O oh God, if I look to my own resources to supply my own needs. And have my faith in those. It's not wrong to supply your own supply um, needs. It's wrong to trust in them. So, Father, this morning, Lord, forgive me, Lord, for putting trust in my own wealth, in my own ability. Lord, help me to go deeper. Help me to bring my family. Lord, we don't want to be like the three generations that pastors just spoke about, Lord. I want to secure the next generation. I want the next generation to be secured, Lord. Show me evidence that it's in my children. And if it's not, Lord, give me the strategy of how to bring this gospel, this relationship into the next level, into my family. Lord, I will not leave this earth, Lord, until I know the DNA is operating in my family. You want it, Lord. Supply salvation for my family. Supply the wisdom. Supply the knowledge. Supply the, the change of heart. What's needed to bring my family into this next phase. Lord, you must do something that I can't do. You must go to a place that I cannot reach. You must go to a depth in my husband or my, my children or my wife, Lord, that I can't reach. Lord, put your hand in. Put your hand. Get involved in my family, oh God. Intervene in the affairs of my family. And turn it around supernaturally. Give me a testimony. Turn it around, oh God. Lord, I'm asking you to do something that only you can do. You as God, who's supreme, can do. Father, do it for me. Do it for me, oh God. Turn my family around. Lord, I speak that word, Lord, that's lay there over my son and my, my daughter's life. I speak it over my family, Lord, my husband or my wife. Lord, I ask you, oh God, like a piercing arrow, Lord, send that word into my children, into my husband. Pierce their heart, oh God. Make them the arrow of your target. Make them the target for your arrows, oh God. Fire your arrows today. Even now, oh God, let the word of God hit the target. And bring about a new awakening, oh God. A new revival. A new vibrancy and fervency, oh God. In the life of my family. Oh my God, Lord. We don't want to see any of our family lost. Oh my God. My God, my God, my God. Come on, see the arrow of God flying into the hearts of those who need it in your family. See it right now. It's piercing the heart of your sons and your daughters. It's piercing the heart of your husband and your wife. Keep speaking the word in your family. Let, the, let God's arrows pierce the soul of, of those you love most. Let God do his work. You fire the arrow in prayer. Let God take it. God knows how to keep his arrows in flight. He knows how to keep his arrows in flight. He's been doing it for generations. So Father, we ask in Jesus' name, Lord, we look to you. There is no other source, oh God. We look to you, Lord. You are our rock and our shield. You're our deliverer. You're our help. You're our provider, oh God. We look to you, oh God. Unto you, Lord. Who do, where else can we look to? We have no other hope, Lord, only than you. We're not asking, oh God, to be passive. We're, Lord, we want to be proactive in all that you're doing. We don't just sit back and lie and expect you to do it, Lord. We want to work with you. Oh my God, we want to work with you to see families restored, families rebuilt. Our community changed. Oh my God, my God, my God. Oh my God. We calm down, oh God. We will not panic. We will not panic, Lord. Oh my God, my God, my God. We will not panic. We will be careful. We will keep calm. We will not, we will not lose heart. We will not be afraid. I said we will calm down. We will be careful. We will keep calm. We, will, we refuse to be afraid. And we will not lose heart. 
Come on, church. We will be careful. We will keep calm. We refuse to be afraid. And we will not lose heart. I said, don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. Whatever, whatever, irrespective of how dark it is, don't be afraid. Keep calm. Don't lose heart. God is working on our behalf. God is working on our behalf. God's doing far more behind our back than he's doing in front of us at times. Don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. Keep calm. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.